You're listening to Warriors in the Dust, the official Fink Desert Race podcast. So listen up now. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of Warriors in the Dust. I'm your host, Murray Silby. So, you want to compete in the Fink Desert Race, but you live interstate, and it's a bit far to travel to ride the track every weekend. What do you do? Well... If you've got a mate with an excavator, you build your own mini Fink track, of course. We meet two South Australians who have done just that. I like using the digger and moving the dirt around. <laughs> Tim, his dad, said, do you reckon you could build us a bit of a track, build some whoops, and, and it all went from there. We also meet one of the superstars who'll be competing in this year's race, and I don't necessarily mean this bike rider will challenge David Walsh for the win, but this brave woman shares her story and why she's raising thousands of dollars for Beyond Blue. I figured if I'm gonna go to Fink and do this big race, I uh, may as well do it for a reason and raise some money while I'm there. And don't forget my co-host, two-time King of the Desert, Rick Hall. He'll join us with another great tip here on Warriors in the Dust. The Fink Desert Race is a race that tests a competitor's commitment, sometimes to the very core, and that can be before they even arrive at the racetrack. So it pays to be prepared, and some are more prepared than others. Some get more help than others. We're about to speak with a couple of blokes who've gone all out in their preparation, Jay Simister is a young rider on the rise and his friend Stuart Haberfield, a man with an excavator. And thanks to Stuart's hard work, Jay now has a mini Fink track to train on. Now, Stuart, you've been on the excavator building this track for Jay. Can you tell us a little bit about the background? How did you come about to build a track? I mean, a lot of guys, they practice in all sorts of circumstances and you've gone hey, why don't we just build a track? So it probably all started a couple of years ago in the 20, for the 2019 Fink. And we went up to Fink as a bit of a sort of support crew for Jay for his first ride. Um, as you know, like they, they started in the Alice, so his parents were in the Alice for the start. And so we were waiting down in the in that Fink for when he got in, so it would have someone there. And I suppose that got us interested in the actual race itself. And in Jay, as a, as a rider, we could see, you know, like, and we can all see he's got good potential. And, uh, and so I suppose I like using the digger and moving dirt around. <laughs> and, uh, and we kind of just thought, well, you know, Kim, his dad said, do you reckon you could build us a bit of a track, build some whoops, and, and it all went from there. So you, there's a bit of property there. Um, the family owns some property. Can you tell us a little bit about the, I, I don't know, the surface there? Is it sandy? And uh, how big is this track? And uh, what have you, you've tried to replicate whoops mostly, I guess? Yeah, it sort of started out as just whoops. Um, it's really sandy, um, much sandier than I could really believe when, when, when we got up there. And my machine's quite an old machine. It's by no means uh, like a fresh five-tonner. Um, it's done 8,000 hours. 
8,000 pretty hard hours. Um, and it only runs in top gear, so it's not really got a lot of pushing power. Um, so I was sort of reluctant to push a track as such. I was more into a drag and drop sort of approach. So um, that's sort of where we started was pushing a track through some, you know, some twisty bits, some tight bits, um, some little berms and stuff. And then, yeah, and then started at the end of, of the run and just dragged and dropped, dragged and dropped, sort of taking it down to the firm um, base below. And Jay, you've um, you've raced the Fink once. We'll get into that story a little bit in a moment because that's a story in itself. But you've raced the Fink once. How do you think um, this track Stuart's built you? How do you think that re- uh, relates or compares to the actual track? And will it be helpful, do you think? think track itself is pretty hard to replicate um and yeah probably impossible to replicate seeing all the bikes and cars and that have gone over it in the years but uh the track stewart's made me yeah it's i think any riding is good riding so yeah any whoop any whoop we can go over is more practice and so yeah no i'm pretty stoked with it it's pretty awesome the support you've got there from your dad and Stuart. it seems um a lot of uh competitors would would kill for that sort of support i would have thought yeah, yeah, I'm pretty lucky to have the property and have Stuart and his digger to be able to make something like that. Like a lot of think riders probably live in the city and uh, they can only get out on the weekends, but uh, I can get out sort of riding wherever I want free of charge and it's pretty cool. And tell us about your first think in 2019 that, um, you know, riding the race itself is enough challenge for most, but uh, you had some hiccups in the lead up. Yeah, so uh, the SAIC off-roads was um, three weeks prior to Fink, and I went out on the first, so that was a, I was a junior at the time, um, and I went out on the first lap, and I hit a big G out, and I snapped the ball off my ankle. So I went back into the pits, and luckily it was sprints, so I could kind of take some Panadol and whatnot, and I didn't take my boot off. I finished the race, then we went straight to hospital and got some x-rays, and that's when we found my ankle was snapped. So I got some pins put in it the next day and then put in a cast. And then so I was off school for three weeks. And then we went up to the property the weekend before we were leaving to go to Fink. We put my motorbike boot on and went for a ride. And I thought, yeah, we could probably do it. So we made the trip up to Al Springs. And, and yeah, so we went out and had a look on the track. And then I reckon it was a scrutineering day. I went for a little ride, just a little run, little run down on the bike again. And uh, I got a bit happy and I come off and cut with the bike and I bit my tongue. That was my worst injury. And but I think the bike copped it more than I did. So we went to the local bike shop, Desert Edge, and they hooked us up with some uh, more bike parts and got the bike rolling again. And we went through scrutineering and then, and yeah, so that was that lead up to think. And then I, it was prologue day. I prologued uh, 285. And then I ran down to Fink and I was 188 and then back to Alice. So I finished at 188 as well. As I was a, uh, I was only 16 and three days at the time. I was not very uh, smart in what I did. And I may have had four P-stops on the way back from <laughs> Fink to Alice. So I probably lost a few positions there, but living we learn. I'm going to try and hit it harder this year. Yeah, what a tale. Um, fantastic. And Stuart? And Stuart, you were there for 2019, I believe, part of um, Jay's support crew. Um, I've noticed people who are in the support crews, they get a quite a buzz out of being part of the whole show as well. 
Is that you? Yeah, I don't think that there's really any way of describing the atmosphere that's there actually during the race. And then I suppose if you can, what I, I feel like I've done is a little bit to make it more chance of getting higher in the rankings or whatever. I don't need to get anything out of it as such. It's more of, I just, yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, building the track, we're only really a portion of what we've done so far. Um, I think we've done about 20 machine hours, I suppose, and we're up to about six and a half Ks of track plus the warp section. So there's a couple of options. You can like divert and do the longer bit, and then we might bring in you know, the bit more of the boundary sections and stuff. So I enjoyed it and it's a challenge. So I get out of it a challenge and something else that I can, you know, put under my cap. I think it's awesome what you're doing. And Jay, you're on the wait list, aren't you? So uh, where are you on the wait list and uh, are you confident you'll you'll get a run? As of today, I'm 62 on the wait list, started at 99. Um, so fingers crossed that we can get out there. Being a lot more careful this year and what I'm doing, on the lead up towards Fink, trying to keep myself all in one piece. Um, but yeah, so we uh, went up there in January. We raced deep well, did a bit of, uh, tried to do a bit of pre running, but it got rained out. Um, and there's water flying off the track. So that sort of stopped that. Um, we we're up there two weekends ago, our springs, um, doing more pre running, running with um, uh, Greeny. The suspension guru up there and so he was dialing in my bike a bit and so we rode down to 160k mark and back and so that was good fun a bit of track knowledge so we're learning that and then next monday we're heading back up there and we were spending 10 days up there pre-running and then on the sunday monday is the prologue practice days so we'll be doing a bit of practice on the prologue track trying to get a trying to get out of the dust bit of a head start and get a good prologue so we can get out of the dust and try and get a clean run there and back. You're taking it incredibly seriously then by, by making these trips up to Alice and uh, really uh, trying to acclimatise to the track there. Um, you've got some ambition then. Um, you're still very young. What's your dreams there? Oh, I, hope, I want to win it one day. <laughs> yeah, I want to win it course. one day yeah. and I hope everyone holds me to it. And, <laughs> and, um, so, yeah, no, you, you'll see me up there one day. Oh, awesome. Good on you. And um, Stephen Greenfield, you were referring to there, helping you with suspension, a four-time winner of the Fink. He's, I know from personal experience, he's, he's very generous with his knowledge, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. And yeah, what he's done for us is just unbelievable and how he makes my bike ride and how he's um, just, he takes us on, takes me under my wing, his wing a little bit and yeah, he doesn't hold back on, on helping us, that's for sure. Unbelievable how he can get a bike to ride and just the little things that you can pick up on and, and change to make your bike feel better. It's pretty unbelievable. And is this the form of racing you really want to pursue? Uh, yeah, just the desert racing, really. Um, I do like the Juros, like the SAOIC, but I think it's my ultimate goal. Uh, that's just what I really enjoy. What's the feeling being on the wait list? Is it, um, I mean, you had some computer trouble trying to, to enter and a, a lot of people didn't make it. It was such a huge reaction when entries were called what's the feeling on the wait list is it frustration or you're just pretty cool with it oh it's not a good feeling that's for sure it's definitely a bit worrying but i think from from history from where i was sitting on the wait list i think it, i should be pretty close 
clean. Should be good. Yeah. Wouldn't say that I'm not looking every day and if I'm going down on the wait list, that's for sure. And Stuart, um, how's he going on that track? Is he showing some extra sp- speed thanks to your great work with the excavator? <laughs> I've never built a track before. Got no idea what I'm doing. I don't ride. So I've got no no real like basis to to know how far these lumps should be apart. We we're sort of just winging it, and then we ended up um, with Jay's sort of knowledge. We um, knocked the top off the whoops because they were really sharp, like where we just dropped the dirt, dropped the sand, dropped the top off them, and then we tied a gate with a couple of sleepers to the back of the old um, sixty series Land Cruiser and drove that over them to spread them out. And that made all the difference. So I noticed that Jay was quite tentative at first, but a couple of runs later and we got a couple of uh, good passes in and we, we did a, a big berm at the, end of the, at, at the end of the first run of whoops. So it was good to have Jay there and say, righto, that needs to be two feet back there and you know bring that end of that berm in around closer so that when he comes off it, he's not you know, missing the next bit of the track and stuff. So I reckon um, this weekend was really more like tweaking a little bit and then um, adding to it, doubling the length of it. Look, I just think it's incredible the effort you've gone to, uh, Stuart, to help help your friends out. And uh, Jay, you and your dad, Kim, I mean, the, the work you've gone to, the dedication, the trips you're making to Alice Springs, it's just completely admirable your dedication and commitment to it so full credit to you both and or you all and uh, i really wish you uh, a lot of luck hope you make it into the race you get off that wait list and into the race and really have a good run to think back and uh thanks very much for your time really appreciate it all right thanks for having us yeah thanks Murray. And uh, joining me now is two-time Fink Desert Race winner, Rick Hall. Thanks for joining us, Rick. Thanks for having me again, Murray. And Rick, we just heard there some uh, pretty dedicated folk there getting ready for the Fink Desert Race, making their own track. Have you heard of other people going to great lengths um, in order to be at their best for the Fink? Well, we uh, spoke to Mark Burrows the in the last podcast, Murray, and he's he spoke about building a track down in Victoria just so that, so that he could dedicate his race to beating the bike. So, so the proof is in the pudding, mate. So, uh, so obviously it works for people. And if they can replicate that and not have to travel as much to Alice Springs to actually experience the track, it's going to, it's going to work for them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's probably impossible to replicate the track, exactly is it but i guess it's a start and it gives you something to work on and to build some skills in but particularly whoops i suppose yeah whoops are the tough one and uh training for them is is quite tricky because you you use muscles when racing through whoops that you probably don't use anywhere else in life so so actually getting on the bike and riding them is 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 valuable yeah excellent and thanks for that rick and now it's time for rick's tip Rick's tips. 
the moment everybody looks forward to, I think, in the uh, Warriors in the Dust episodes each week is uh, Rick's tip. And Rick, what have you got for us this week? Mate, I just want to tell everyone that you're not going to win the race by winning prologue. Don't don't focus too heavily on prologue. Prologue's important, but it's not the race. So if you if you go out and have a bad prologue, just refocus and uh, and uh, push harder on day one. I, I always say that pushing really hard on day one and putting all your efforts into day one will put you in uh, a good spot for coming home. And it's it's always an easy ride coming home. So uh, don't put too much emphasis on prologue. It, it's good to get a good result, but uh, it's it's not the end of the world if you don't do that well. And the prologue track or course is uh, quite different in, in some ways to the main track, isn't it? So if you don't do so well on the prologue, there's a chance you can still pick up places on day one or two, isn't it? Yeah, that's right, mate. And uh, uh, I mean, Glenn Oricht has done his best to replicate the pro- the prologue track to make it look like the think track, but um, it's easy for an unfit guy that's fast to go out and uh, get a good prologue time. But it's usually the guys that are, that have, have got good speed and a lot of fitness um, that maybe not uh, a good slap and dash rider that uh, that'll do well in the actual race. So. Uh, Yes, it's um, it's like I said, it's not the end of the world if you don't do well because there's there's some fast guys out there that won't necessarily be fit. Um, so if you you're fit and you can can push hard, particularly down um, around Bunduma where the whoops get really deep and go for you know a hundred odd kilometres, if you can you can push hard through there, uh, it'll put you in a good position on day one, ready to to have a good good crack at getting home on day two. Fantastic advice as usual from Rick Hall. Thank you very much for your tip this week, Rick. No worries, Murray. Thank you, mate. Another great tip from Rick. Okay, there are competitors who enter the Fink Desert Race to win. They're aiming to be crowned king of the desert. There are others who the competing is the victory, finishing the triumph. Whatever the reason for competing, everyone has a tale to tell, some more honest than others, some more challenging than others. Our next guest is as honest as they come, and she has a story to tell, and she's trying to help others along the way. Jackie Peacock, thank you for joining us. How are you going? Hi, Murray. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. No worries. And Jackie, this is your first Fink Desert race. When did you first decide to race it or enter it? Uh, I think I decided last year or late last year. I'd been thinking about it for quite a while and been wanting to do it for years. Like I've been wanting to do Fink for, I don't know, over 10 years. So, yeah, I thought this year, I'm 40 this year. So I thought this year is the year. (laughs) In the prime. Um, Now, (laughs) now. Most people, they, they, they enter and that's their sole focus. They, they prepare, they train, they race. But you've got a bit of extra meaning to your entry. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing? You're raising money. Tell us why you're raising money and who for. My um, Fink ride is um, for mental health awareness and I'm also raising um, money for Beyond Blue. So 
yeah, I've uh, had some uh, mental health struggles over the years. Um, yeah, and it was just something that I figured if I'm going to go to Fink and do this big race, I uh, may as well do it for a reason and raise some money while I'm there. And, yeah, some awareness. So, yeah, that's what I'm doing it for. I'm incredibly impressed by your honesty um, because one of the battles with mental health, as I understand it, is that it has improved in recent times, but it's not out in the open as much as it should be and and treated as, uh, I guess, a normal illness that people have to deal with. And, And so that would make it easier for people to reach out and seek help. Is that what you're trying to do is just bring it out into the open a little bit more? Yeah, just normalise it for people to be able to talk freely about what's going on. Um, it's, it is really normal. Um, I guess I'll start with my story. Um, my father passed away when I was 14 and I guess that's when it all started for me. Um, I never really had any uh, counselling on anything. I had two weeks off school and then went back to school because it just wasn't it wasn't known about then, um, I suppose. It just wasn't talked about. So I've gone along in my years of life and it wasn't until I got about to 30 that I realised, um, yeah, that I wasn't really coping too well. Um, so, yeah, over the last kind of 10 years on and off, I've seen... Um, professionals and they've really helped me Um, but yeah when I haven't been able to do that my friends and family have been there for me yeah and I know how hard it can be to to reach out and talk to somebody because you feel honestly you feel like a pain in the ass you're just like you're you're going to be a burden on whoever you reach out to but you're really not like now that I've shared my sort of story on social media and for the the fundraiser and awareness. I've had so many people reach out to me and it's it's really um, opened my eyes and it's so surprising how many people have a story and it's really normalised it for me. And even after the people have talked to me, like I find it so easy to share what I've been through back to other people now because, yeah, it's just... It's just so normal. Everybody has ups and downs and struggles. And if we just all talk about them, it's, it's just a lot easier to feel like you're not alone. Yeah, and I think people would be amazed if all competitors in the Fink were surveyed as to whether they'd had um, some mental health issues or struggles through their time. I, I think people would be amazed how many had. Now, you said you had good family and support from family and friends and you still needed that professional help and Mm. I think that's the point isn't it professional help friends and family are are great if you've got that support that's wonderful but some sometimes people need that professional help and hopefully the money you've raised you had a target but you've you've gone well beyond that now haven't you yeah first of all I thought we'd uh, raise five grand but it's up to over 11 now the five grand we smashed that in 24 hours so then I said oh 10 and (laughs) um yeah we passed that uh last week I think and yeah it's up to 11 which is awesome 
And how will that money help? Can you give us an idea? Uh, you, you told me something uh, before this interview, what a difference a certain amount of money can make. Yeah, so for Beyond Blue, they have a 24-7 support service where people can ring and at certain times they can email and chat online and that money will go towards helping that support service. So $260 can cover five calls, so five phone calls for for people who are struggling. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's a great cause. Um, sometimes, but yeah, people don't have that option that they can talk to family and friends and they, uh, I've used a similar service where you just ring and someone is at the end and they're very understanding and helpful and they'll point you in the right direction, um, give you some advice. Yeah, I think it's always... Always good to encourage anyone you know to seek professional help if they are really struggling, um, but sometimes that can be hard. They're pretty under the pump, all professionals, because uh, they're so busy. And so, yeah, sometimes you can't get in straight away. So that's why you need the support of your friends and your family and Beyond Blue until you can actually get that professional help and get access to longer-term help. And to your writing, are you aiming to force them to have to rename the King of the Desert to the Queen of the Desert by winning this year's title? (laughs) No, there might be a Queen of the Desert, but it won't be (laughs) me, Murray. (laughs) No. I think my main goal is to just finish um take it easy not get silly not stack too many times and hurt myself just uh yeah keep focused on getting that little pin at the end well that sounds like a brilliant plan and uh i would have thought many competitors in the fink should take that approach and so it's very wise (laughs) and uh fantastic work that you're doing in the raising the money for beyond blue is if people want to contribute, what could they do? Yeah, so I've got a Facebook page. Um, just look up Fink for Mental Health um, or I'm on Instagram. It's on the Fink for Mental Health um, Facebook page as well. Yeah, just jump on there and there's a link um, to the fundraising page. You can go on there and contribute if you like or, yeah, just share it, share your story and, yeah, just that's all just normalised mental health. It's all good well i think you're a winner already congratulations on uh, your personal achievements um with your own health congratulations on your fundraising and the work you're doing there and best of luck for the fink desert race 2021 when you're on the start line there thanks murray i really appreciate it and thanks for reaching out Okay, and uh, a great chat there I had there with Jackie Peacock and some wonderful work she's doing, raising money for Beyond Blue, but also riding in the Fink, one of the women who will be lining up. And uh, recall a few weeks ago, Anthony Yoffa, president of the Fink Desert Race Committee, told us that the numbers had increased this year. So great to see the women out there as well. It's really good, mate. And uh, I remember Kay Kilgariff a long time ago was one of the only 
only riders that was a regular in the Fink. And uh, last Fink in 19, Danny Danielle Foote was the winner of the women's class. So uh, so it's come a long way and uh, lots of young ladies ride now. My daughter has ridden the Fink and she had a great time. And uh, the women involved with Fink is... Uh, is is a great aspect of it and just more and more numbers coming um to race think now and uh i really uh, uh, i really think it's a great thing fantastic rick thanks very much for that and it would be great to see the numbers keep increasing uh thanks to you again this week rick for your help you're right murray always great to chat mate and uh hopefully um, after these podcasts we look forward to seeing you up here in the near future can't wait rick Get you back on the bike, mate. (laughs) There you have it, everyone. Another episode of Warriors in the Dust, done and dusted. I'd like to thank all of our guests, the industrious Stuart Haberfield and Jay Sinister, the inspirational Jackie Peacock and the remarkable Rick Hall. Thank you all. Keep listening, although I can't say too much just yet. We're hoping to have a very special guest next episode, someone you'll all want to hear from. Until then, stay safe, be happy, and go fast. You've been listening to Warriors in the Dust, the official Fink Desert Race podcast. Move along now.